everybody, I am joined today by Sam Zeitz. He's the CEO and founder of TouchSuite. How are you doing today, Sam? I'm doing great. Awesome. Thanks for having me on. Oh, it's my pleasure. Well, we're going to talk today about some really interesting new technology. We're going to talk about kiosks and some uh, some really interesting trends that are happening in the small business market. Um, but Sam, I was hoping before we got into that, you could give us a little background. I always love to hear how people got into the industry and ended up where they're at. So maybe you can give us a little bit of background to help our listeners have some context there. Sure. Uh, absolutely. Uh, I always wanted to be a, an entrepreneur, and I figured you needed one of two things. You either needed money or know-how. I had no money, so I figured <laughs> I better go get some know-how. Sure. So I ended up going to, uh, to law school, getting a law degree, and then worked in uh, structured finance, which is securitizing income streams. And while doing that, I thought to myself, you know, I, I need to go get one of these myself. And that ultimately led to the, the payment processing space where, you know, we all love to deal in recurring revenue streams. Absolutely. Definitely. So how long has TouchSuite been around now? We've been around about 16 years at this point. Wow. Wow, that's that's awesome. So when you started TouchSuite, it was like just you or you and a couple people? Or have, tell us a little bit about the, the beginning stages. Uh, early, you know, early on started with a, a couple of people and then ultimately, you know, went on my own and, uh, built it up into, to the, the organization that we have now with, uh, you know, probably a, a couple hundred, uh, dedicated, hardworking, uh, you know, people who, you know, keep expanding and building everything that we're doing. So it's evolved from the days of, you know, a payment processing, you know, company to to more of a true financial technology company. Yeah, and it's really interesting. I've enjoyed watching the evolution because, um, you know, seeing TouchSuite, it's so interesting when, when a company kind of makes that transition. You can see in, in the marketing and what they're doing and what they're building that it's like you guys are a technology company that – that specializes in payments, right? I mean, it's not, you know, like you said, it's not just the payment side anymore. There's this focus on building things that are going to add value and, and bring value to the, uh, to the small business owner. Uh, absolutely. Uh, you know, we, we, we saw a number of years ago that, that merchant processing by itself was starting to become commoditized and right. margins were, were diminishing. And in a commoditized, you know, arena, how do you you know, stand out? How do you distinguish yourself? And, and you nailed it on the head. How do you provide, you know, value to to the, the merchants, your clients? And that's what we, we ultimately do. We, we provide, you know, value to them to help them grow their business. Our, our actual purpose statement of our company is empowering entrepreneurs because every one of our clients is an entrepreneur. And anything we can do to, to make their life easier and create more value for them, then, you know, we ride along, you know, on their co kind of slide on their right. coattail, so to speak, uh, and, and benefit by providing the processing and or the other additional, right. you know, services that we provide to them. Well, awesome. So, all right. So now we got a little background. I, I really want to dive into this new kiosk system. Am I pronouncing the name right? Is it Grubber? Is that right? Yes. Okay, that cool. That is correct. All right, cool. So tell Grubber us. Grubber is, is ahead, pretty exciting stuff. Yeah, tell us about it. So, so Grubber, you know, we're, we're getting a lot of fanfare over the kiosk, but really Grubber is a disruptive, you know, play in payment technology. And 
is more of an entire ecosystem. So we believe that the point of sale, the POS system, is obsolete. There's no need for a POS system any longer. If you, if you look at what's going on in the trends, you know, obviously kiosks being a significant trend. Right. You see what's going on with cash. I mean, I, I was discussing with, the, with a bunch of the employees this morning. I said, when's the last time you had change in your pocket? <laughs> right. I mean, I, I don't use change. I mean, you don't use change at a parking meter anymore. You, don't, you, you, don't, right. you just don't have it. Uh, I used to play games with my kids where they would count the change. Uh, I'm like, I don't even have a bowl with, you know, next to my bed any longer with change. <laughs> Cash, you know, is, is disappearing. Right. And so, so, you know, the point of sale system evolved from the cash register and just you started throwing things inside of the POS and that kind of became the hub. But there's, there's this disruption going on now, you know, self-ordering. Mm-hmm. Is, a, is a concept that's that's changing. Kiosks are at the forefront of that, and I'm happy in a, in a second. I'll kind of go into all the benefits and what we're we're seeing at the, the you know especially at the enterprise side with our our you know clients. Right. But there's there's other disruption that's that's going on right now as well. You know, restaurants are generating many of them the majority of their revenue now. From delivery services, the Uber Eats, the Postmates, the right. Grubhubs, you know, all you know, all of these these groups. Right. So if if you look at it, you have you have basically, you know, call it inputs. So, you know, how do the orders come in? So the orders now can come in through the kiosk, they can come in through mobile ordering, they can come in through one of these delivery services. And there's no need for it to go into a point of sale. It can go flow right into their KDS so the guys in the kitchen know how to prepare the food. They can then tie into uh, anybody that's you know staging and prepping the orders, whether it's, it's going for a delivery service, whether you know in Panda Express we've got locker systems so they can go to a locker system and pull it out of a locker, whether they want to take it over to a table. We, you don't even need to, to put the, the numbers. You can use beaconing to, to take the food right to the specific table that the, the client sat down at. Mm. So that's where the future is going. And if, if you think about it, Ten years ago, if you went to the to the airport, you stood in a long line right. to get your ticket, and there was some disgruntled employee behind that <laughs> because they, right. they never saw the end of that line. Right. They looked like a federal employee, you know, at the post office who just, you know, never DMV, this never-ending line. Nobody's ever happy. Right. And today, we don't experience that. Today, we do one of three things. We, we either download it onto our phone and take our phone and tap it, you know, right. when, when we go on into the airport. We print it out ourselves. We go on and do it ourselves and print out that ticket and, and bring it. Or we walk into the airport and we go to the kiosk and print it out at the kiosk. And there's never a wait because there's 40 of those kiosks. Right. Right. Because they don't have to, they don't have to pay the kiosks by the hour. The same way. Exactly. It's going the same way. And, you know, if you look at the percentage of revenue that the cashier, especially in QSR or fast casual is, right. 
that's a high percentage. Right. So you're now reallocating that person into into the you know kitchen area or food prep right. as opposed to the cashier. First, you're dramatically improving order accuracy because you've eliminated half the the errors. Right. You know when I go and I, I give an order to the cashier, they may or may not get it right. You know, I didn't want pickles. I wanted extra ketchup. I wanted, right. you know, cheese. You know, they may, may or may not have hit that, that button. So there's a good chance that when if there's a problem with your order, it originated there. Sure. So, so the, 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 you know, the opportunity, kiosks do three things at a high level. The first thing they do is they increase revenue. And they increase revenue because it increases the average ticket size. The average ticket on a sale will increase 12 to 22% using a kiosk as opposed to going and speaking to a cashier. Why is that? The reason for that is the hover effect. When you're standing in line, there's people behind you, you're, you feel pressure to order quickly. Hmm. Because everybody behind you is giving you a dirty look because they want to order. Sure. If you're at a kiosk, you can take your time. You're looking at pictures and you're, as opposed to the price. So you're selling yourself. Right. Secondarily, there's a perfect upsell every time. Right. As much as McDonald's or whatever the, you know, insert the, the name of the fast food or, or fast casual right. restaurant is, however better, well they train their, their people – they're not going to, you know, they may or may not say, hey, do you want fries with that? Right. But here, based on their or what they're ordering, what their historical ordering pattern is, if they're an existing client, it can pull all that information and, and, and make a more appropriate upsell at that time. Sure. And then, so that, that you're, you're definitely increasing the average ticket size. The other thing you're doing is you're increasing overall revenue because you're eliminating walkaway clients. It's a fact that if there's three or more people in line, people will walk away. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, I do that. If I go to lunch somewhere so, and they've got a line out the door, I'm going somewhere else. Yeah, what are you going to do? Oh, there, there's 10 people in line there. I'm going to go to the place next door. Right. Because there's no line there. So that, that's a customer you're, 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 not, you're, you're not monetizing. So those are the two main reasons you're increasing revenue. Secondarily, you're decreasing expenses. Like we said, you, 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 can in, you can decrease labor, the labor of cashiers by up to 90%. It's a huge oh, yeah. cost savings and a very material line item on their P&L. Oh, yeah, big time. So, you know, you know, kiosks will work seven days a week, 24 hours a day, never request overtime, never request <laughs> a day off, and never make a mistake. Sure. So you have that. And the third component that you know we're, we're putting these into a lot of stadiums and arenas is the customer experience. Right. For them, that's the most paramount. You know, we're seeing dramatic improvement in process flow. People will go to the kiosk as opposed to a cashier, even when there's no line for a cashier. Right. Right. 
Yeah, it's it's like the it's like the so, culture today, isn't it? I think a lot of people. I know myself. I'm you know I'm definitely included in this group where you know when I go to Walmart, even if there's several open lanes, I still go to the self checkout. I would just rather. I know I can do it faster. I can get it done. I can be on my way. Maybe I'm listening to a podcast. You know, all <laughs> my air my uh, it, earbuds. Like I don't want to. You know what I mean? I just want to do my thing and go. That that that's exactly it. In fact, last week I think McDonald's came out and announced they're opening stores. They're opening a store right now with zero cashiers. Wow. Yeah, that's a bold move. <laughs> so you're going to see over the next five or ten years a redesign of how the restaurants are set up from a you know a flow perspective. You know, I was watching a, a great documentary on the History Channel about the food that built America, mm-hmm. and they were talking about how the McDonald's brothers effectively created the back office process for fast food. You know, they mapped right. out a system to speed up the food prep and delivery, and that later became, you know, what is now known as fast food in this country. And you know, whether McDonald's and, and everybody else that that kind of copied that that process has done that. Right. What we're doing and what's evolving in the industry now is doing the same thing, but for the front of the office, the front sure. of the restaurant. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So let's do this. Let's let's zoom out for just a second, and then I want to dive back in, and I have a few more questions about this. It's so interesting. So just to kind of clarify for everybody, I think what I'm hearing you say is that the concept of point of sale, the touchscreen point of sale, whatever you want to call it, that concept is predicated on an interaction between two human beings. There's a customer, and there is a cashier, and the cashier has to enter stuff in accurately, hopefully, uh, into the system. The cashier costs money, etc. And I think what I'm hearing you say is that the trend you're seeing is whether it's a kiosk or whether it's a mobile app or whatever it is, that interaction is going to go away, especially in the food service industry, and it's going to go more towards the consumer, just like if you go to Walmart self-checkout, the consumer is going to be deciding what they want. And so there's really not a need for that point of sale because there's not a need for that particular human interaction where the cashier is talking to the consumer. Is, is that basically what you're saying? That's correct. That, 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 that's a point of friction. And what you're trying to do is eliminate points of friction. So people will order there. They'll order you know, from, from their house. They'll order on their mobile tablet or they'll order from one of these delivery services. Got it. So diving a little deeper into this, uh, this kiosk space and the self-ordering, uh, self-checkout. So we've talked about food service. Are, is that the only business type where you're seeing this gain traction? Or what are some other business types where they're, they're trying to remove that friction? Well, you know, it, it works across the board in a, in a lot of different industries. Obviously, retail would be, you know, the ne- next probably most logical and, and largest market you're also, uh, it, it, it's going to occur in, in healthcare as well. So you're seeing it in, in a number of different spots. We're, we're in a number of retailers with this as well. Uh, you know, in, speaking of, you know, kind of emerging areas, we, we've been putting these into a, a number of chains in the uh, marijuana dis- dispensary sure. Uh, sure. Uh, arenas. Uh, we, obviously, we, we can't handle the payments today, uh, but right. as soon as that's legalized, we'll, we'll obviously sure. be situated to do that. So currently today, they go through, because think about it, whether it's, it's, it's food and you want to find more information, such as uh, the nutritional ingredient, you know, components of it, the calories, uh, etc. Or if you you want you want a you know you could learn about 
you know, if you if you had it in there and tied it, I guess to, to blockchain, you could tell the cow it came from, you know, right. and the hamburger you're going to eat. Right. So the the extent of information and that you can provide to to the client and of a touch of a button is, is unlimited. Same thing in the retail setting where we're seeing it. Um, at a number of retailers putting in kiosks inside of their their stores. Um, also, it helps on products that they they might not have, and let you know they can only stock so much inventory. And allows them to to also have the kind of showroom that they can present a larger product lineup that they might not be able to carry in the store as well. So, so, so one other kind of follow up to this. I'm just interested now that I'm learning a little bit more about the direction you're going with the technology. So. Do you see this evolving into, um, you know, online ordering, online store type of an interface that you're going to make available to merchants? Like, is that part of the of this path as well, or is it more of like this is just focusing on the friction that's in the store? No, it's a, it's an entire ecosystem. So we we tie in to every component of it. So to give you an idea, we we tie into the digital signage boards. So sure, you know. If the restaurateur, you know, wants to increase pricing because a concert broke out across the street and he, he wants to inc- make, you know, surge pricing, so to speak, sure. he could change, you know, the price and it changes everywhere. It changes online, changes in the kiosk, and changes on the digital signage board all in real time. If he wants to, to decrease it, he could decrease it. It can tie to his inventory. So if all of a sudden he's out of avocados, guacamole comes off the menu right. in real time. Sure, because that because you know, that particular, to, that, that particular inventory is tied into that product or that that meal. Exactly. Instead of going up there and putting a piece of paper over, you know, your little <laughs> right. sign and saying, you know, out of stock or you know whatever that. Or even worse, forgetting is. forgetting to let people know at all, and then somebody orders guacamole and then they don't get what they wanted. So exactly. So you, you've kind of you have that. Uh, what we've done with a number of restaurants is 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 put in locker systems. So think about it today. You know, we we were discussing earlier the the prominence of these delivery services, right. but it's also creating friction. People are standing in line at you know Chipotle or you know. In, in any kind of fast casual or fast food restaurant. And all of a sudden there's a flood of guys cutting ahead of you in line and saying, hi, Uber Eats, Uber Eats, we're, we're here to pick up our order. Well, these guys are like, hey, I got to grab my food and, and go. And you're like, listen, uh, you know, I've been standing in line. I'm waiting for right. to, to place my order. So what this does, if you order on the kiosk or if you order online or any of the food delivery services, they all get routed into this food locker, and you go and you, you scan your, your receipt, and boom, the locker opens, you grab your food, and you go. You, um, you remove that congestion from, from the counter, and you, you, you move it over there. But, but how does that evolve? You know, we're, we're now showing restaurants how they can expand their revenue outside of their four walls. We've got restaurants that have, you know, neighboring hotels or, or small airports, you know, these like right. independent, you know, it, uh, airports where like the jets will fly in and the small planes. Sure. And they're putting kiosks in those lobbies so that people can order the food and it goes right into the KDS at that restaurant and then they run the food orders over. Hmm. 
office buildings. They're putting the kiosks in and providing mobile ordering as well, and then putting locker systems so that when people place the orders, they run them over and they put them in the lockers, and then people can come down from their their whatever floor or whatever office they are and scan and, and open up the locker and grab their food. Right, right. Wow, that's a lot of uh, it's it's so interesting to me. It's like that one that one trend that's changing. You know, it's so funny because I know a lot of salespeople and ISO execs are listening right now and going, you know, I hadn't even thought about this trend yet. <laughs> and it's like, wow, that's that's an underlying trend that, you know, a sales professional or an ISO could literally focus on just this one thing and it would be enough to keep them busy. I mean, this is a uh, this is a really big trend. So let, let's shift gears a little bit, though, Sam. I want to talk about the pricing model a little bit because I know you talked about enterprise, uh, you know, clients, larger clients. Let's talk about the small businesses or the place that's got maybe mm-hmm. one, two, three restaurants, that kind of merchant. Um, what does the investment look like for them? How How is that being presented? What's kind of the pricing model to, let's say, install kiosks, for instance, but the, but this kind of larger ecosystem in general? Yeah, so, so the great thing about the point of, you know, the kiosk versus you know point of sale is is the return on investment of course because what you're doing is you're you're replacing you're reducing labor costs right instead of paying by the way labor these days at 3.5 percent unemployment people can't find it what's preventing a lot of these places from expanding and opening more locations is they can't find people right absolutely yeah and then you've got the the, the you know the discussions of you know increased minimum wage you know people talking about you know right. raising that so this this allows the fast casual and fast food type restaurants to continue to be profitable and to continue to to grow sure but the direct question you asked me was, was pricing so we while we sell mid market and enterprise we also have opened this up to, to the SMB space, which traditionally with technology comes out, it comes out enterprise, right. and then eventually evolves to mid-market, and then, you know, right. 10 years later, boom, you, you, you got it in <laughs> SMB. Right. But, you know, as our core has always been around the small business, we've also made this technology available to the small business owner. And we've made it in a fashion that they can buy it and make it immediately accretive. So, you know... With one unit, our, our SAS fee on a kiosk is $149 a month, and we, we have kiosks that range from 21 to 32 inch in, in size. And mm-hmm. So our, our basic 21-inch kiosk, uh, you can lease. It, it sells for, you know, call it $5,000, $49.95, mm-hmm. or you can lease it for $149 a month. So literally for less than $300 a month, you can have a fully operational kiosk that, you know, is going to replace a four hundred dollar a week employee, <laughs> right? It's about a ninety, uh, you know, ninety five percent cost savings. Let's say you put two in this, you know, right? Okay, right. So it's only a ninety percent cost savings against one cashier. Sure. Sure. Yeah, I love it. And then, of course, that's not even taking into account from the ISO and the agent's perspective. That's still not even taking into account. You're also going to be integrating the payments with it as well and obviously generating some residuals there, too. Absolutely. There's recurring revenue. There, there's, you know, profit uh, on the sale of the hardware. Um, there, There's a, a number of, of opportunities. And when you, when you get into these, the, you know, typically places will put 
you know, a couple in one location as, as a test or as a pilot, and then they'll start to roll them out to, to all their, their locations. Sure. Because the, the, you know, you know, it's a saving. They're going to see your ROI pretty quick. <laughs> Typically within 60 days, over 65% of clients will go to the kiosk versus the cashier. Right, right. So, okay, so let's transition a little bit. We've been talking about kind of the benefits for the business owner. Obviously, there are many. Um, let's transition to the to the ISO and, and the agent. So one of them, the big questions I have for you is that, you know, let's face it, this is kind of a complicated thing that we just described. So, you know, setting this up for a small business owner, I mean, even no matter how smooth you make this process, I mean, this could be a challenging pitch as well as a challenging, you know, installation. Um, what are you doing about that? So if I've, there's an agent out there right now that's selling uh, some clovers and they're like, oh, this is cool. I'd like to go sell these kiosks. Well, how do they do that? How do you enable this sales partner to be able to sell something a little bit more complex? So... We have people on the, the Grubber sales support team who will work with with the the agents or the ISO in helping to provide the you know sales pitch to to pre create the proposal the deck and really troubleshoot you know what the opportunity is. We you know we had a an ISO that that brought in a, a client a, a zoo yesterday, and you know we worked with them to put the deck together. And, and, and you know, depending on the opportunity, we might even go out there with them to to help close the the deal. And the you know the installation, you know, we we use a number. Of, you know, we have installation our, ourselves, and we use third parties to to handle things such as networking cables, right, etc. That that are outside the the scope. You know, we'll we'll provide them with a list of of minimum specifications. Obviously, they they're going to have to have a you know internet network in in their in their facility. We do we through the the process we we've learned to to provide smart routers so that we can troubleshoot everything remotely. So sure. if there's ever an issue, we first we know about it before the merchant does. It sets an alarm. Uh, secondarily, you know, if their internet goes down. We, we provide them with, you know, 3G, uh, 4G uh, backup oh, nice. so that they, okay. they can continue to, to transact even if their, you know, Comcast happens to, sure. to, to go down or there's a, there's a problem with that. Sure. So, you know, all, all of that is, is, is accounted for in the, the systems operate and communicate with them themselves internally. So they don't need internet for that. You obviously, they do need the internet to, to transact the, the credit card component of it. Yeah, you know, and it's, and it's interesting too, Sam, because I think TouchSuite has an interesting advantage here because, you know, when you look at providers like, say, Square or something like that, um, they don't have 16 years of experience installing technology for small business owners. Like it's really, there, there are some very unique challenges, right? I mean, this is something you guys have been doing for a long time that you're probably pretty good at now, you know? Yeah, no, it's funny you say that. It, it's, Think of like Tesla. They they created a great electric car, but they also created a hell of an infrastructure to and, and process to order a car. Right. I mean, I, I bought no my Tesla. I bought it at the mall. Right. <laughs> and I bought it. You know, it took me like five minutes to order a custom car. Right. And and then, you know, I filled out the lease paperwork at home at you know midnight. Um, you know, on my computer. And, and it took like 90 seconds to, to have everything completed and approved. Yeah. So, 
it, it's a lot of our quote invention or innovation has not even come on the the kiosk side, but it's come on the process of how we take you know clients and we can board them. What we what we noticed one of the things when we first launched where the problem was when I'm dealing with enterprise clients, no problem. They've got pictures of everything. Right. Right. They have a marketing department. We tell them we, we, we need pictures. Great. Here you go. Then we would talk to an SMB and we say, okay, we need pictures. And that turned into a two-month process. Right. So what we've been able to do is, is now create this massive library of photos and stock you know, photos of just about every type of item sure. so that you know, if you want ketchup, we've got 10 different images of, of ketchup. And right. If you want mustard or pickles or tomato or a hamburger, we've got you know, 50 different types of hamburgers sure. they can pick, and they can pick the one that most closely you know, represents right. their product. Yeah, it's like, do you, do, you or, really need, do you really need a unique picture of their lasagna? Or maybe one of the seven yeah. stock photos of lasagna would work, right? <laughs> exactly. And if they want, no problem. Sure. They can right. do that too. And we've got this you know, kind of like WYSIWYG type editor that allows them to either select or to take their own. And we give them you know, guidelines on, on how to take the pictures, back, backdrops, et cetera, and then they can upload those. Sure. But it, what really differentiates us is, is the UI and UX on, on our system. It's the, the innovative way, the, the intuitive way that the, the entire thing processes. You know, it's funny. We, we went to the NRA show in Chicago, and there were 48 companies listed as, as kiosk providers. Hmm. I was like, wow, there's a lot of competition. And then after seeing, quote, all the competition, most of them, if not all of them, were, were basically just POS systems turned sideways. Right. <laughs> well, you know, it's not going to work for a customer. Sure. And the remaining ones were running on, on you know, iPads. Right. Well, if you've read any of the white papers that McDonald's has put out, there's a direct correlation between screen size and, and the success of the kiosk and the amount of revenue that's generated. Right. You know, McDonald's uh, and most of the larger enterprise are running on 32-inch. We, we, we don't recommend going anything smaller than a 21-inch. Uh, only caveat to that is we also have restaurants that decided to put um, units at every table. So right. Instead of going with a kiosk, they've basically put the kiosk at every table. So there, the screen size is smaller. Of course, but you know, it, it seems to to work at the the, the table. Hmm. One other thing I want to touch on that I, I think is interesting. Um, there's a lot of salespeople out there, and even smaller ISOs who recognize there's this huge potential opportunity to go after the mid-market and enterprise-type clients in their area. You know, they've got that, you know, maybe there's that local chain that goes across several states and has, you know, 50 locations, 100 locations. And, you know, they've never quite gotten the guts to go in and approach that particular merchant. And it sounds to me like this is one of those opportunities, correct me if I'm wrong, but it, I'm guessing that this this might be the opportunity that would kind of open up some of those larger markets. Am I right there? It, it's a perfect opportunity. I, I know our internal sales... Uh, has the the average volume has has tripled for for our internal salespeople since sure. since you you know leading with with this product and you nailed it on the head when we were we we went to this at the NRA show which is the largest restaurant show in the world right. 
we came back with 700 groups that we gave demos to that you know were were interested wow. in, in you know moving forward and continuing the process. 700 groups. Each of those were That's groups. I, I never realized how many groups out there have you know, 50 or 100 locations. You've never even heard of them. Right, because they're in a different part of the country. They have their own little region, you know. That's exactly it. So you're, you're, you're dead on with that. They're, in your backyard, there are groups that have 10, 20, 50 locations, and this is perfect for them, and they're growing. So and this technology will facilitate their expansion plans and allow them to grow faster. Yeah. Well, Sam, I can tell you for sure that I could keep talking to you about this for a couple hours and just digging into it more, but I better not do that. So uh, I know there's lots of people listening that are just, their minds already been blown that, wow, I didn't realize this opportunity existed and it's, and it's already really far along. So where would you send ISOs agents that are like, okay, cool. I want to, I want to learn more about this. I want to learn more about the resale opportunity. Where would you send them? So the best place is go to uh, touchsuite.com forward slash grubber, G-R-U-B-B-R-R. Um, there's, you know, a video on there. There's a whole bunch of, of information and then, you know, you can reach out to, to, to chat or, you know, um, you know, get signed up. Uh, Jeff Fortney is the, the individual who oversees, uh, our agent and ISO, uh, sure. division. Um, and he's got a, a whole team of people that work with him, but, uh, you know, that would be the, the best place to, uh, to start. Awesome. Well, Sam, thank you so much for your time today. I really appreciate it. I know this will be a popular episode and a lot of people are going to really be interested in this topic because it's something that really hasn't been talked. We've never covered kiosks on our uh, podcast before, so it's really interesting. So thanks again for taking the time. I appreciate it. This is the Insider's Report with Patty Murphy, brought to you by Greensheet.com a premier resource for the electronic payments industry. The Green Sheet has been on the beat since 1983, always focused on boosting the feet on the street in our evolving sphere. Well, James, uh, we're starting to see some fallout from the ongoing consolidation move in the business. About time. Yeah, right? Uh, I thought this was very interesting that within hours of the completion of tech giant Pfizer's $22 billion acquisition of First Data Corp., Bank of America announced that its merchant services unit was splitting from First Data. Wow. Yeah, that's a big deal. You know, Bank of America Merchant Services has been in a joint venture with First Data for decades, and it's one of its largest, if not the largest, bank partner. Right. Right? Um, according to analysts, uh, the joint venture represents about 10 to 12% of First Data's revenues. Oh, wow. That's a nice uh, piece of change, right? Now, what does that mean? Like, is, is does B of A have, like, a portability, I'm assuming? Like, are they taking? Well, yeah. So what's happening is, is that what, you know, B of A, you know, it wants to become its own merchant acquirer now, right? Right, right. But... It doesn't have the infrastructure for that, sure. so it's outsourcing it all the first data right. until it can build up its own infrastructure. Wow! So, so first data is going to help Bank of America become a big competitor. You got it. Wow! Isn't that very interesting? Um, We're yeah, in a crazy industry, Patty. It really is. It just kind of blows my mind. It says, you know, the bank said first data will be quote an important service provider. Yeah, well, it's going to be its back end, right? <laughs> you know, right. and it's going to build up its own sales channel, right? 
you know, which yeah. is going to be a lot of the people that it already it'll probably well, of take. Course. Yeah, of course. They're going to take all their. Di- so basically, B of A is going to take their distribution. To, They're going to take oh, the good parts of their distribution. Right. You know, right. I was talking to a guy the other day who had been with a uh, member Chase Payment Tech. Oh, yeah. Of course. Right. And then they split off. Yeah. When, you know, created their own. And he's like, yeah, when they split off, uh, I got, you know, I stayed with First Data. Right. I was like part of the, the nucleus that stayed with First Data. Right. But Chase took, you know, 80% of the sales force with them. Right, right. You know? Um, so I thought that that was really interesting. And um, the both parties, apparently there's going to be a mutual non-solicitation agreement in place until 2021. I'm sure everybody will follow that to the letter. But think about it. 2021, <laughs> James, that's only like a year it's and a half from true. now. True. Yeah, wow. I mean, yeah. you can do a lot. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? Right. Um, so Mark uh, Monaco, he's the head of uh, Enterprise Payments at B of A. I thought this was an interesting quote from him. Payments are at the core of our business, and this announcement is another step forward in our global strategy to provide companies of all sizes an integrated payment offering. We look forward to investing in our merchant solution and delivering the capabilities our clients need to thrive in an ever-changing payments environment. Yeah. I mean, basically, he's saying we're going to go head-to-head. Yeah, he's saying watch out. Watch out. Yeah. And because according to um, some analysts I talked to, when they um, – Split off officially, they'll be the sixth largest. Wow, that's you know absent any other mergers and consolidations that might occur in the meantime. Of course, that's getting it's getting to be easier to be the sixth largest as all the other ones combine. Right, I know. Like how many big ones are even left? Yeah, I I, I thought I I was talking. Who was it recently? I can't even remember. There's been so many. My head is spinning from the wall. But he's like, yeah, we were number 15 and number 12, and then we combined, and now we're number 7. Right, right. <laughs> yeah, wait a minute. How does that happen, yeah, right? Yeah. Well, this is what I thought was interesting. You know, 10 to 12% of a revenue stream is a pretty significant chunk it's of change, huge. if you ask me. But Fiserv downplayed the significance of the split. Well, of course. Right? Said it's going to oh, this will have little impact on our, on our financials. But I think it's going to... Personally, I think it's going to spur a lot more competition. Yeah. Um, you know, surely organizations like the newly merged Global Thesis, um, they're going to want to go pick off accounts from the from B of A and First. Well, and I think even more than that, I'll be surprised if 24 months from now, B of A is still has an independent processing arm anyway. Yeah, right. What's going to ha- happen in reality, probably most likely is they split off from First Data so they can get a better offer from Tesis or... Or they can go out and buy somebody else. Right. I mean, B of A has, a t- has really ton deep of pockets. Sure. You know, and before B of A was, I, I used to know the people who, the guy who ran the ISO channel for yeah. B of A way yeah. back when. So they've been down this road before. It didn't work for them. Right. So they went back to so they went back to first data. Yeah. So I think personally I see this as a position so that they can go out and buy somebody else. Yeah. They want to do something. They're, they they're want gonna, to do something. Yeah, there's there's a merger and acquisition, you know, thing behind all no, this. No no question. And and you know, and also think about it. So you got so you have the global thesis acquisition, you know, right. you know those guys are gonna go out and pick off right, you know, whatever contracts they can. And then let's not forget that um WorldPay was uh, was acquired by FIS, right? Which is a huge competitor yeah. with Fiserv. Yep. So you know that they're going to be going after, um, you know, yeah. processing revenues. So mm. I just think, you know, you and I have talked in the past about all this consolidation in the industry, and does that mean it's going to be less competitive? I think it's proving to be even more competitive. Yeah, and, and plus, I mean, really, that 
that you know lack of competition doesn't really filter down to the ISO channel anyway. No. You know what I mean? Every single agent is competing with every other agent, even if that agent's from their own company in most cases. Of course. You know, of course there's a there's you know and it's interesting too. I mean, I think one of the other interesting trends is like on the other opposite extreme of that is like for the ISOs and agents, there are starting to be more legitimate companies coming in that are W two, mm-hmm. you know, salary or draw type things. Right. And so, you know, you're starting to see that, mm-hmm. um, and and I think it'll be interesting to kind of see how that plays out as you know companies are starting to realize that hey, this is a good W two sales model as well. Right. But but as far as these big companies and most of the people selling for them, they're independent ISOs or independent agents, and you know they're going to keep competing no matter what. And also, as far as the whole um, bank part of this business is yeah. you know we've i've wa- i've been in this business long enough to watch the cycles from when right, banks wanted right. to own everything to not wanting to right, own everything right. now maybe they want to own a little bit more but how long is that right. going to last right well and i and i think it's interesting because you know at its core it's like when you really break these deals down most of these mergers and acquisitions are just purely financial plays mm-hmm. because you know what really we you know, our industry's gotten to a point where the the two things that matter in our industry is distribution and technology. Yep. So do you have a big sales team? Mm-hmm. Do you have a technology that everybody wants? Right. If you do, people are going to be fighting over being the the service provider for that. Mm-hmm. But as far as what's happening on the back end of like actually moving the money around and servicing it, it's just not you know, it's 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 become a business that's pretty standardized there. Right. And so it's one of those things where I can acquire this company, they can acquire me back, I can acquire another company, and we're all kind of doing the same thing, and so it's really more of a financial play anyway. Yeah, it really is. So good stuff, Patty. Very interesting. Mm-hmm. This is Questions from the Field, brought to you by InstantQuoteTool.com. With over 30 training courses covering everything from sales objections to statement analysis, ISOs are using our learning management system to help new agents understand the industry and how to sell merchant services. Industry veterans love our courses because we dive deeper into concepts such as interchange and explore new industry trends like cash discounting, NFC, and the resurgence of American Express with the OptiBlue program. Put all of these training courses together with the leading proposal creation tool for merchant services agents in the field and we believe our branded ISO solution and individual user package is a must-have. Visit instantquotetool.com today or email support at instantquotetool.com to learn more. So, Patty, today I'm just going to do a short segment, and I want to talk about alternate compensation models for agents in this industry. Alternate as opposed to? As opposed to straight commission. Okay. So, you know, it's no secret that in our, in, in our industry the vast majority of agents are straight commission. Correct. Right? And so I've been talking to a lot of um, ISO executive CEOs, things like that lately. Mm -hmm. And, you know, a common theme in our conversations is, you know, what is the future of this model? Is this really going to play out? Because there's so many challenges now if it's like, you know, whether it's, you know, hey, we need to certify and train our agents on a certain point of sale system. Mm -hmm. Well, how do you do that if they're 1099? You can't require them to. That's right. Right? So we're starting to kind of see this hybrid model We've had several big name CEOs on here that have this model where it's W two straight commission, uh-huh, uh-huh, right? Right. So we have these companies, uh, you know. And again, I won't name, but you know, we have these companies on here, three or four really big ones that do that, and they're paying off of margin and a few other things. Mm-hmm. And so that's interesting because now it's like they have the control over the agent's activity and the exclusivity, but purely as a function of the employment contract. Right. It's not that it's necessarily in the interest of the agents. Correct. It's just they can enforce it mm-hmm. because they're a W-2 employee in their straight commission. Sure. Um, 
you know, so that's that's a big part of it. So then where I think the next iteration is going to go, where in my opinion, all the money is at right now. Like if I was like, if I still have my own ISO and a big team, mm-hmm. where all the money is at right now is paying salespeople for activity. Okay, explain. Whether somebody's 1099 or W2, you can do this. And so mm-hmm. the idea is this. You know, imagine a situation where you bring a salesperson in and you say, hey, here's how we pay, okay? We pay you in two different ways. Number one, we have this great commission model. You right. know, you make, you know, X amount of commission, whatever. Number two, every week we give you a list of 100 businesses. Uh-huh. And as long as you walk into each of those businesses and check in on your phone with a GPS tracker. Right. Right. At the end of the week, you get $400. Oh, nice. Now, the interesting thing is this. The big opportunity. For just, just let me clarify, yeah, yeah. okay? So you walk into 100 businesses, so you're basically getting $4 a business. Right. Okay. So how many, typically, how many of those 100 businesses would actually, you know, result in a, in a, in a deal? Sure. So this is the beauty of this model. This model is predicated on you have to bring people into your organization that know how to sell. Okay. Yeah, right? Right. But here's the great thing. You'll find out really, really quickly if they don't. Sure. If they like walk the into week. <laughs> yeah, right. If they walk into a hundred, what you do is you do a pipeline review every week. Right. So you take like ten minutes, fifteen minutes with each agent every week mm-hmm. before you pay the four hundred. The two requirements are you walk into a hundred businesses and you complete your pipeline review. Okay. The pipeline review is let's look at your notes. Right. Each business you walked into, you put notes and you put a stage in there in a CRM, and you're like, hey, you know what? I noticed that you talked to twenty seven people that were decision makers out of those hundred, uh, which would be pretty high actually. And um, I noticed that you didn't get a statement from any of them. None of them are interested. Tell me about your pitch. What are you saying? Right. 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 The next week, another twenty five. Nothing. Well, you know, are we going to go to the week three? I don't know. Maybe. You know. Yeah, yeah. Then the question is, are you training them? Like, you know, so that so, was my next question, right? Because yeah. you have to train them. You have to train them. So, so the thing I love about this model is, is two things. Number one, it forces the ISO to do these common sense things that, for some reason, our industry thinks we don't have to do. You do have to select people carefully. Yeah. And you do have to train people. Yeah. And you have to communicate with people on a semi-regular basis. Right. Right. I mean, hello, really, people. But Do you honestly think you're going to build this huge business predicated on we're going to hire anybody who's warm and breathing air, we're going to put them on a one-hour webinar and never speak to them again? You know, it's like going out to uh, going out hunting and using scattershot right. and thinking, well, hey, I got that squirrel. Right. Yeah, right? <laughs> right? That's not really a dependable strategy, right? Right. So, you know, so the thing is I love because it puts the pressure on because, hey, we're going to pay this person $400 a week. But they better do something for it. Yes. The other thing is it puts the pressure on the agents to say, if you want to get that 400, if you walk into 96 of these businesses, you get zero. Right. You are going to walk into 100. We'll give you 120. You got to walk into at least 100. If you don't, you get zero. So now all of a sudden, they are going to be putting in the effort. And Mm -hmm. what I found in this industry is, if you can get a salesperson who knows how to sell, Mm -hmm. and you train them, you talk to them once a week, Mm -hmm. and you require them to take action, you're going to grow really, really quickly. It's going to go well for you. And that 400 is going to be, in my opinion, a very good investment, you know, on average. Sure. You know, you're going to have some people where you're, you know, this is the other thing I love too. Some ISOs, very few are starting to try stuff like this. And it's like, they're telling me, James, it's hilarious. Like literally day one, they're eliminating 30% because the people will call them and say, I can't do this. Mm Mm-hmm. Right, it's very obvious. Right now, these ISOs recruit people, and they'll call these people for a month. They have no idea is this person that, doing anything that or not. Just sitting on their hands or right. something. Right. And in fact, they pulled up to their first business and realized there's no way on earth I'm getting out of this car and walking into a business ever. Mm-hmm. Like mm-hmm. some people just simply can't do this business. Sure, sure. I and understand they, that completely. And if they can't, you better find out on day one rather than day fifty. 
And also, though, I mean, the, the training element is so it's huge. Critically huge. important. You have to train them if they're if they don't. One Even of the reasons if they're a good salesperson, right. you got to train them in your procedures, sure. in, in your industry. And they're not going to get out of the car if they don't have that confidence. Level. Right. So you got to recruit good people, train good people, pay them for taking effort. Yes. And you won't regret that. Good stuff. Thank you for listening to the Merchant Sales Podcast. Whether you are an industry veteran, processing executive, or just trying to learn about the payment space, we appreciate your time. The Merchant Sales Podcast is a joint production from greensheet.com and ccsalespro.com. We hope you will tune in next week for more information and tips on building your merchant services business.